0: Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This Is River Radio Well, now for some pop music
1: Try this Done it again Good evening and welcome to River Radio and the Politically Correct On Wednesday the 8th of September My name is Wisdom DeCosta, and joining me on the show today will be our guest, Councillor Carol DaCosta. And we'll be discussing a very powerful interview from the new Chief Superintendent of Oxford for Thames Valley Police. Listen in, don't go away. So I'm going to introduce my first guest, who will be here sitting in doing the rest of the show, Councillor Carol Costa. Carol is actually the chairman of the West Windsor Hub, which is a COVID response charity, a former midwife, so she's seen a lot of different things, and also a champion and a woman's an advocate for women's rights, especially in relation to domestic violence. Carol, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you.
1: Okay, good to see you. So our first guest today, we're going to be um, talking to actually Katie... Barrow-Grint. Now, she's the new Chief Superintendent for the Oxfordshire area in the Thames Valley Police. And she has just been appointed three days into the job, and we caught up with her earlier on today. Now, she talks about a number of really interesting things, including her plans for the area. She's just come back from a very series of high-profile roles. So we'll be talking about domestic abuse, about citizens policing, about knife crime, and also county drugs lines. so let's go over to katie welcomes the powerful new chief superintendent katie barrow grint to take over local policing in oxfordshire who has senior experience as head of criminal justice head of serious and organized crime in previous roles katie also brings with her ex- expertise on domestic abuse as well as being a black belt in wateroo and a published academic chief superintendent katie barrow grint welcome to politically correct
3: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Wisdom. Delighted to be here.
1: I bet you never thought you'd be accused of being politically correct.
3: <laughs> I do. Uh, I do think it's an interesting title for your radio show, that's for sure.
1: I blame the directors here. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, tell us about your new, new role. What does it entail?
3: So I'm on day three of the new role. I've just recently been promoted into the chief superintendent role for Thames Valley Police, and I've taken over as the lead for local policing in Oxfordshire. So I have uh, a couple of colleagues, Chief Superintendent Mike Lowenberg who will cover the Buckinghamshire area and my colleague Bobby Rye who will cover the Berkshire area and I've taken responsibility for Oxfordshire. So I have three local police areas that I'll be looking after, the South and Vale in the south of Oxfordshire, Oxford City itself and then Charwell and West uh, to the north. Each of those areas has their own superintendent and I'm not here to take over their role. I'm here to have that strategic oversight, engage strategically with our partners and I'll also have some thematic leads for the four so I'll be the lead for neighbourhood policing going forward for mental health, for stop and search and for citizens in policing which I I hope we'll be able to talk a little bit about uh, later on.
1: So what are the major sorry sorry, let me start again what are the major issues in South Oxford in the South Oxford what are the major issues in the South Oxfordshire area?
3: So South Oxfordshire is very similar to many of our other areas in Thames Valley Police. There is crime, as you will imagine, of different varieties within that patch. So on a day-to-day basis, our officers are dealing with significant amounts of domestic abuse when they're dealing with 999 calls. South and Vale in particular is a particularly rural location, so we have uh, rural crime. And that's not just about the hair coursing, for example. I'm talking about serious organised acquisitive crime within the rural community, so plant that type of thing which organised criminals are dealing with. I think there's also, wherever we are in Thames Valley, we have county drugs lines who are trying to infiltrate particular. Our our younger members of the community, our children, and we need to be really um, clear about what we're doing from that. But we need our communities to be really looking out for young people and, and thinking through um, what they're doing and, and who they're involved with. There are bits of knife crime. There is the general um, day-to-day nine-nine-nine calls that we cut co- that we cover. Uh, so people will ring us about all sorts of things. People ring us when they're at their worst, and we need to do our best in terms of helping the community. So. Uh, I think the, the South isn't particularly different from any other area um, in the Thames Valley. It's obviously hasn't got any significant cities, but there are lots of um, local towns with their own their own issues. And the local commander, Liz Knight, uh, the superintendent for, for South and Vale, is very clear on um, making sure her officers do the, the best that they can for our communities in the South and Vale.
1: That's a wide range of issues in what might people, people might consider to be a rural area are you finding that some of the issues of crime are being displaced from the capital as they achieve success so it gets pushed out to to our area
3: i think we're certainly finding that if you look at county drugs lines invariably we've seen drugs issues in major cities and when you look at where we are in thames valley we're very close to the metropolitan police areas but we will have county line drugs dealers sending people into our patch from the West Midlands area, from further north than that, from the Metropolitan Police. And invariably, some of our drugs lines will come out of our own cities, so in, into the South and Vale. But I think there is a, and I, and I speak from my previous role as head of organised crime for Thames Valley, I think there is a, a, a general move by county drugs lines groups to try and get into more rural communities because there is less drugs there and they see it as beneficial to their business model to get into areas where they can sell more drugs and invariably <clears throat> encourage more people into that lifestyle sadly
1: to use an expression from from your father professor keith grint it sounds as if the county drugs lines is a wicked problem which has multiple causes and interactive causes would you say that that's about right and if so how are you going to tackle county drugs lines
3: County drugs lines are really difficult. The minute we take out a county drugs line in Thames Valley, it's a bit like quicksand. Another one will pop up. So it is very difficult from a policing perspective, although we've made significant inroads in the last 18 months to disrupt and dismantle huge numbers of county drug lines. Over 80, we have managed to dismantle in the last 18 months through my serious organised crime unit. So I, I think it's it's one of those problems. Yes, it is a wicked problem in in the sense that how do we deal with drugs? And that's not just a policing issue, that's a public health issue, that's a governmental issue around the legislation and the public health requirements around drugs but actually I, I do think that there is a there is absolutely a role for the police and Thames Valley have really invested significantly over the past few months in creating a permanent drugs task force so we've just done the recruitment for that internally it will go live a little bit later on in the year but following on from the activity that our serious organized crime unit has been doing in 18 months or so We will really focus on disrupting and dismantling those county drugs lines and then working with communities and partners to think through what what are the consequences of that, what fills the void, how are we ensuring that our young people are looked after, they're busy, they've got things to do, that they are kind of enticed into that world really. So that's my hope is that we will continue the good work that we've done and, and actually continue to make quite a big difference. But we can't do that without community help and we can't do that without intelligence and information coming up from the community. So we really need people to tell us what's going on. And if they've got worries about children being involved in gangs or drugs, if they've got worries about people dealing drugs on street corners, uh, or they're seeing anything um, untoward, then then please do call us or or go online and tell us about it.
1: And what's the best way of contacting the police? Because I know locally, people often say that, well, 111 is problematic.
3: It's 101 actually. So historically there have been some tricky times in terms of how, how quickly the police have been able to answer the calls, but that is actually historic and we've got quite a lot of evidence now that we have come out of that and actually... Our calls are answered relatively quickly, but you can now report online. We have online reporting and there is a relatively straightforward way of going through our website and you can submit intelligence and information through that. And then we also have a way through our kind of statutory partners, so through the councils, through the health colleagues. There are ways that they can report information directly in as well if they so wish.
1: So we're making progress there, which is excellent. Now, what are the other wicked problems that you are seeing in Oxfordshire and in the Thames Valley area.
3: Probably the one I will talk about most, an area kind of close to my heart in terms of the academic work that I do, aside from being a police officer, is domestic abuse. And domestic abuse is one of the biggest crime types nationally. So not just in the south of Oxfordshire, not just in Bucks or, or, or Berkshire. Absolutely. The 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 kind of the numbers of calls that our staff are going to on a daily basis, the majority are in relation to domestic abuse. And for me, you just think, well, how can that be? How have we got into this? society where where people are um, subject to such kind of violence in their homes and, and are scared for their lives when they should be in the place where they feel the most safe. So I'm really keen to push the agenda around domestic abuse around opening the discussion both in the community and with partners as well as in policing about how we how we make a difference how we make changes culturally how we ensure that people are able to report domestic abuse but also that our officers do the very best when they're called to those cases that they absolutely listen to the victim that they take all the evidence that they possibly can whether that be through the body worn video through a victim statement through talking to neighbors through looking at cctv and producing a really good investigation where the end result is suitable to what's gone on. And when I say suitable to what's gone on, not every case will go into the court process. And for some, so for some families, for some cases, that's not the right way to go. But for many, there, there are help mechanisms that, that might be, that might be the outcome that is required for that family to, to move away from that kind of domestic abuse situation. So it's a whole systems approach. It's not just about the police going in, arresting somebody and taking them to court. There's a whole piece behind that around working with our colleagues in partnerships with the independent domestic abuse advisors, uh, with a whole host of people to try and support victims and indeed perpetrators and families as a whole to work through problems without having to get into that domestic violence cycle. So I think there's much more that everybody can do around. And I just, you know, I hope that victims, if they are subject to domestic abuse, feel confident that they can call us and and we will come and help, and we will come and work with you to think through what the best options are for you and your family.
1: I guess it's reassuring for victims, and it's also for perpetrators, let's use that expression, because they know that at the end of it, hopefully there'll be help for everybody to move to a better place. But how can people reach out to you if they are victims, whether they're children or adults? What is the best way? Because if they're stuck in a house with the abusive individual it's going to be difficult.
3: Yeah, it, it, it can be difficult. And that was one of the kind of national policing worries through COVID actually, is that we would see a significant amount of domestic abuse reports once lockdowns had ended because people didn't have the opportunity to speak to others. So... There are the, the normal mechanisms that you and I both know. You ring 999. If it's an emergency, if you're being physically, sexually uh, assaulted, if there is something happening there and then that need, you need help to stop, you ring us on 999 and we will come on blue lights. If it's something that's happened and it's a day or two ago and you have that opportunity to call us on 101 or you can go into a police station or you can tell somebody to report on your behalf, then that's another mechanism. Uh, again, you can report online online. And you can also certain websites. So there are various domestic abuse charities who give really good advice and really good mechanisms for almost hiding the fact that you've looked at that domestic abuse website for help. So if your partner is looking through your phone, if if your social media constantly reviewed and you're in that kind of control environment, there are there are some ways that you can try and access help. But also we have huge amounts of what we call domestic abuse champions throughout the Thames Valley area. So we work really closely with a charity who support us with domestic abuse champions and they are everywhere. They are through social workers, council officers, hairdressers, nail bar technicians who've all done extra domestic abuse training and you have the ability, if you are unable to to report from home, if you are somewhere else talking to somebody else, you can tell them and they will call us and, and we can come and help you
1: okay at the end of the show and also down below on, on the facebook feed we will list these domestic abuse websites that people can go to which also show the advice of how you can keep your browser history away from from anybody who is abusive what sort of innovations are you looking to try and apply to areas of domestic abuse or, or any other areas within your patch
3: One of the things that I've been running since I was head of criminal justice and which I I want to continue and look to expand if possible is a a domestic abuse trial that we've been running. We started off in Aylesbury in in Buckinghamshire where we deal with cases as quickly as we possibly can and we take domestic abuse cases that are um, the most serious kind so that are going to the Crown Court and we fast track them. So we created this pilot with our local colleagues in the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, and Judge Sheridan, who's the resident judge at Aylesbury Crown Court. And we fast track cases within two weeks of uh, charge into the Crown Court. Now, if any of your listeners know about court process, we, we, we have two types of court in the UK. We have Uh, a magistrate's court, which deals with less serious offences. And we have a crown court where the judges sit, which will deal with more serious offences. And in the domestic abuse arena, I'm talking about assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, grievous bodily harm, that type of significant assault, which because of the amount of time uh, a perpetrator can get in prison as a result of being found guilty of those offences, they're heard in front of a judge in the crown court. So Crown Court is obviously a very busy place and invariably cases take months, if not years, to get into the Crown Court system. So we we took a a proactive approach working with the judiciary and, and CPS colleagues and the police to say, how can we improve this? How can we make it much quicker for victims to get into court for cases to get into court because the evidence base the academic evidence base around victim attrition in domestic abuse cases is that the quicker you do it the less likely victims are to withdraw from the process the less likely the the perpetrator is able to re-engage with the victim and and kind of uh, recreate the relationship or whatever it might be so we started the trial uh, we did about 80 cases to start off with and what we found was whilst it meant more work up front for policing and for the Crown Prosecution Service and, and indeed for the courts. Actually, the results were much better for for all concerned. And I say all concerned because I do mean the victim and the perpetrator as well. And the feedback we got was that the ability to be more quickly in the court process meant that victims were were happier. They kept on board. They wanted to see it through. They didn't get. Kind of bored of waiting. They didn't rekindle relationships where they didn't want to, and, and and justice was done, whether or not the perpetrator was found found guilty. But what we did also find is that many of those perpetrators, indeed about eighty percent, pleaded guilty at the first hearing, um, and, and quite a lot of the feedback for that was around the speed at which they got into the court process and the fact that the victim was there and was ready to give evidence and, and hadn't kind of changed their mind. So so a, a small trial, it's continued throughout Buckinghamshire and we spread it. So many cases from Oxfordshire and, and Berkshire will also go in front of Judge Sheridan at Aylesbury. We, we would like to test it a bit further. We would like to trial it in another force perhaps moving forward because I think there's some real potential there for improvements in, in, in how we deal with domestic abuse. And, and what that leads to quite often is a reduction in, in further offending. So that's better for, for everybody involved.
1: We're going to take a quick break there. We've been speaking to Katie Baragrind, the new Chief Superintendent for Oxfordshire, with her new innovative ideas for the area. So we're going to play one of Katie's favourite songs, which is the Fight Song by Rachel Platten, and it's for all you domestic abuse survivors.
4: Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves. Like how a single word can make a heart open I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion And all those things I didn't say were wrecking balls inside my brain I will scream over loud tonight Can you hear my voice this time? This is my fight I'm Chasing sleep. Everybody's worried about me. In too deep. I say I'm in too deep. Too deep. Oh, it's been two years. I miss my home. But there's a fire burning in my bones. I still believe. Yeah, I God, that, I left in me.
1: that was Rachel Platten singing Flight Song. Now you're listening to River Radio. This is the Politically Correct show on Wednesday, the 8th of September. We've been talking to Rachel, not Rachel, that was the lady who did the song, sorry, Katie Barragrent, Chief Superintendent for South Oxfordshire. Katie actually carried on and we're going to talk to her more about some of the issues that, that she talked about. Hold on there. I'm trying to make sure that this is queued up. I will double check to see what's going on here. She is actually speaking, but we're trying to get some vo- some some voice some volume from that. Right. Let's move on. We're gonna we're gonna play another song for in just order, a second.
0: In the kindest possible spirit. Order. 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 I say to you, in the kindest possible
1: spirit. Now, order. 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 Order.
0: Please.
1: Right, we have lost that. So we're going to just talk to Carol. Carol DeCosta, you're actually a woman's advocate. So whilst we're just waiting for the um, recording to come back on again, now you had heard a little bit about the, 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 the way that Katie's planning on dealing with issues of domestic violence. What were your thoughts about that?
2: So um, I, I was really interested in hearing about getting cases into court um, very promptly and she mentioned within two weeks, which is excellent, because um, after, after um, an, an attack or an assault takes place, be it a physical one or or um, mentally abusing. Whatever way that goes, and just want to be very politically correct here, this is an issue that affects men as well as women, although in the main it's predominantly... Uh, you, you hear of more women being affected, but it does happen to men as well. So to get the perpetrator into court early is really good because... Quite often what will happen is um, when you're in the situation where you're in a fight or flight mode, you will contact the police, you will look for help, you, you'll, you'll want to find a way out. And as that emotion starts to, to come back down and the normality of life comes back in, the perpetrator is in a position where they can take um, advantage of using that emotional connection that they have with you. And start to erode away some of your your um, resilience against letting this happen again, and then that you you begin to forgive, and then you take the person back, and then you get back into that cycle of um, having more abuse take place. So the really great thing about that would be to to get the perpetrator into court, and um, this isn't all just about a revenge. This is about stopping. This happening again it 's about protecting individuals that are being abused and keeping them safe, so by getting them into court, if this means that that perpetrator stops, which is what we want, we want it to stop. so if that perpetrator stops and we don 't see a repeat offense, then um, the court, the police has done their job. They've done a, a brilliant job. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the idea of having members of the community take training with about domestic abuse and being available to, to um, listen to disclosures and support uh, victims or potential survivors of abuse to, to take forward their complaints... And to deal with it. So um, I, I just feel that's really, really excellent. And I think it would be great if communities had a list or had a way of knowing where, or being able to advertise discreetly where that help is available. So if it's in a nail bar, for example, that the the um, nail practitioner it's would funny. have a little card or something on her desk, that would identify, you know, it could be anything, it could be like a little purple hand or anything like that, so that um, that is a symbol that we know. And then um, if someone's seeking help, they know which person to speak to. So is the purple hand actually something that's used at the moment? Uh, so I think you can put a purple dot on the palm of your hand if you want to discreetly ask for help. So if if you see somebody with a dot on their hand, that means they're asking for help in a very discreet way. So I just figured it might be, that just popped in my head, actually. That's
1: a great idea. So how about if you're available to listen, if you're available to, to be the eyes and ears for women who are being abused? Is there any symbol that people can use on their doors, on their windows, on their desks, if it's in a nail bar?
2: I'm not really aware of anything that is um, universal at the moment, but that might be something we could go back to Katie and find out about and then maybe put it on the website and I would certainly advertise it within um, my social media with the help hub that I run.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. We'll definitely put that to to, um, Katie. So what about this idea that um, other people and other groups can be the early warning? I know that from your experience as a midwife quite often you would encounter people who you know you you were suspicious and you maybe that's a great opportunity to reach out to people
2: yeah so um domestic abuse when I first became a midwife wasn't really uh, recognized as being part of the role of a midwife it's kind of like that was the early days of domestic abuse being um uh, dealt with by midwives or or even being on the agenda so um i have there was lots of training when i first qualified on how to ask questions and how to broach the subject of domestic abuse with with women that come to us and there's lots of reasons why a midwife might be a good place to go to because we know that one third of all domestic abuse starts in pregnancy so you may be in a very happy relationship and for some reason we don't know the the psyche behind it but we know the stats and the stats are that a third of it starts in pregnancy so a midwife is a really good person to ask those questions and When I practised as a midwife, I would ask at booking, so when the woman first comes in and meets the midwife and you take lots of medical history, so it seems very logical that you would ask those kind of questions then. And then um, at the midpoint of pregnancy, and then again about a month before the end of the pregnancy, I'd ask those questions again to give the woman the opportunity to disclose any worries that she had. And I did this routinely for many years and never had anybody come back to me and say yes. Um, And I remember one day being in a a clinic, doing a routine 36-week checkup with a woman, and I asked the question and she said, no, no problems. And then the next day I got a phone call from her and she said, you know that question you asked me? And I was kind of like having to think, which question is she talking about? And I said, oh, I asked you lots of questions. Can you tell me exactly which one? And she said, um, the one about um, abuse. And I said, oh, yes. And she said, well, it happened to me. And and I said, OK, uh, do you want to come into my clinic? Um, and I basically rearranged all the appointments for the rest of that afternoon clinic. There were only a few more left. And I met her and she came in and we had a long chat and she disclosed... Um, some history of domestic abuse which had started in her pregnancy so why didn't she talk to you about that the first time I think it takes a little bit of time for for women to to gain the courage to speak out because it's a really hard thing to talk out about it really is and and wrongly and not just for women for men as well and probably even more so for men um you have you internalize this shame which isn't yours but you hold it you take that shame on board and so it's very difficult to talk about those things because you've got this incorrect shame attached to yourself about it and i know that's even more of an issue for men i think so uh that's that's the reason why i believe she didn't talk to me about it but once she'd gained that trust she was able to do so
1: so what about the idea of taking this to court earlier
2: I, well, I just think that's an amazing idea because it gives the woman the chance to, or or the man that that has had the abuse done to them, it gives them the chance to act whilst they're still in that that uh, survivor mode, wanting to survive and wanting to do something about it. Until, if you leave it too long, that becomes eroded, and then you go back into that that forgiveness and getting back into the cycle of things never changing right. so the getting to the court is really important so that you can get in before that happens
1: so absolutely support uh, katie barragrind and thames valley police in that whole approach 100 percent, yes Excellent. and hopefully we can see that rolled out across the across the thames valley police and maybe even in the uk but it would be great to see it rolled out across the whole of the uk okay we're gonna play another song now this is another one of katie's uh, songs something just like this by the chain smokers and coldplay and guys yes you are heroes I've been
5: reading books of old The legends and the myths Achilles and his gold Achilles and his gifts And Spider-Man's control And Batman with his fist And clearly I don't see myself Upon that list But she said Where'd you wanna go? How much you wanna go? And the myths, the testaments they told, the moon and its eclipse, and Superman arose, the suit before he lived. But I'm not the kind of person that fits. She said, Where'd you wanna go? How much you wanna risk? I'm not looking for somebody with some superhuman gifts, some superhero some fairy tale place just something i can turn to somebody i can miss i want something just Hold up,
1: Okay, that was a bit of order, order from John Burkrow. You're listening to River Radio, the voice of the Thames Valley. And my name is Wisdom Dacosta on the Politically Correct Show. And you can listen to us on Alexa, on Google, on river.radio. Or you can get a podcast or even listen again. So don't forget... Don't miss any shows. So we're talking here, we've got my guest in the studio, who's uh, Councillor Carol Costa, who's a woman's advocate, as well as doing many other things, including leading uh, at the charity, the West Windsor Hub. So we're going to go back to Katie Barrow-Grind, because initially we were talking about uh, a number of issues, including domestic abuse. But we've got more to listen to on Katie.
3: And investigating and...
1: and... Don't worry about the silence. She is coming up in just a moment actually i've got this
3: carefully and it, it quite deep Criminal justice system around uh, the speed at which we are able to deal with offences. Some of that will be around capacity. So have we got enough courts? Have we got enough judges to hear cases? Some of that is around capability as well, in terms of understanding the nuances of of specific cases. So domestic abuse, sexual offences are need to be dealt with very carefully and are quite different to some of our other crime types. So quite often there's extra training that judiciary and lawyers and and police officers will do around investigating. Investigating and, and prosecuting those types of cases. So I think, we, you know, we're in for the long haul here. It's not something that's going to be sorted out very quickly. Obviously, more funds, more resources would always be helpful. And I, I've had some conversations with Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary around this pilot and how it might look if we were to spread it out. Uh, and I've also had conversations with the Victims Commissioner and the brand new Domestic Abuse Commissioner nationally around what this might look like and as we move forward into a kind of a new era I suppose around violence against women and girls I think it's important that we consider all innovation all evidence-based practice around dealing with such offences because as a whole we we need to get better.
1: I completely agree that violence against women and girls is completely out of order. So that was Katie just talking about the issues so let's have a look at it so we she raised a number of issues earlier on and one of them was about the processes to help victims of domestic abuse and how to create but this was going to create an extra workload for the police force and also for congested court system so that was um katie talking about how perhaps the government can help ease that congestion do it you raise a second issue which is evidence-based so it sounds as if you've got a greater emphasis than previously on looking at evidence-based solutions, perhaps even looking at other police forces around the world.
3: Yeah, so one of my extra pieces of activity that I do around policing is, is how we can improve both locally and nationally in terms of evidence-based policing, evidence-based practice. How do we know what works? How do we know what is the best course of action to take? How do we innovate and, and try new things and mitigate risks by doing that. Because, you know, often if you try something new, you're not quite sure what the output or the outcome is going to be. And there may be risk involved in that. So you need to think very carefully about what you do. So so one of the things I, I wanted to do was was think through how how we share good practice and how we share good good research to be quite honest so I did my master's degree at Warwick Business School a few years ago and I was writing about domestic abuse as part of my dissertation and domestic abuse attrition rates and once I'd finished writing it it got quite a good mark and it got published in an academic journal which was really pleasing for me and I was getting quite a lot of contact both nationally and internationally from academics and from police colleagues who'd read the journal article because it was in a policing policy and practice journal asking about my research wanting to read about it asking how they could do similar similar activity and it just made me think there must be hundreds and hundreds of people in policing like there is in any any work um, environment I'm sure that that's doing extracurricular learning that's doing degrees that's doing um, research and what do we do with that and it was quite clear for me that we weren't Enforce doing enough and probably nationally weren't doing enough either. So with a couple of colleagues, we set up what we call the Thames Valley Police Journal, which is an academic journal very similar to ones that you would see ar- around any other kind of topic area. And we invite our staff who are completing um, degrees or masters or PhDs, we have a whole selection of people doing all sorts of activity, to submit their dissertations or their theses. We cut them down so they're not overly onerous to read. And we publish it. We were going to do it internally only to start off with, but the feedback from our staff was phenomenal. They really liked the fact that they could do research that would be impactive. That other people their colleagues would read it that senior officers were li- listening were reading it and actually where there was good suggestions or recommendations about stuff that we ought to change we, we considered that as a force and our strategy unit would consider operational guidance or policy or whatever it might be based on research so we submitted it internally first of all and then we decided to put it out as an open access external document that was about three and a half years ago now we're on edition seven we're just creating edition seven at the moment and it's gone from strength to strength we have readers international across the world, both from America to the United States, to Australia, to Iceland, to Dubai. I haven't had any invites yet to go and visit any of those countries to talk about the journal, but I would love to. <laughs> and it's just gone from strength to strength, really. And I think there's, there's probably real value in it moving forward with some of the new degree entry processes that policing has introduced. But also there's value in looking at it nationally. And the College of Policing contacted me and They liked what they'd seen and asked me to be editor-in-chief of a a publication which we've called Going Equip, which is basically a national version of the journal and is written by policing for policing and, again, is open access and available to anybody. And like we said about the domestic abuse stuff, I'll give you some links because any of your listeners are able to access the research that our officers are doing, the College of Policing publication, and have a read different policing areas of business.
1: Brilliant. Now, can members of the public access or even contribute to the Thames Valley Police Journal?
3: They can access in terms of reading it. And, and that's, you can just go on Google and write TVP Journal and it will come up. In terms of contribution, no. So I say no, there are some caveats. So it's generally written by police officers and police staff within Thames Valley Police. We also take articles from academic researchers who are working with Thames Valley who either we have commissioned to do some academic work on our behalf or who have asked us whether or not they can come into force to do their research so we will publish that activity as well so the caveat's are if somebody that's listening is is doing some academic research through a university and they want to do some work around policing then they can contact the TVP journal email and I'll have a discussion with them about what that might look like in terms of the actual research and then following on from that contributions into the into the journal itself
1: is policing fun or is it a static career?
3: Oh, it's not a static career. Absolutely not. It's brilliant fun. I've been a police officer for 21 years now. I love my job. I love coming to work every day. I think the best thing about it is you just don't know what to expect. You just don't know what you're going to be dealing with. And and I kind of give an example last week of when I was I was duty superintendent. So I cover the north of the force in terms of senior leadership. And I was dealing in custody with some Extensions of detention for people that had been arrested for a very significant offence on a, a child. And then in the afternoon, I was on a call with stakeholders led by the RAF around the repatriation of people from Afghanistan coming into Bryce Norton because I was covering Oxfordshire that day. So that was important. So, you know, you're dealing with serious crime, you're dealing with international issues. And when I woke up that morning, I had no idea I would be dealing with either of those things. So whatever level you are, it's absolutely fabulous being a, a police officer, being a police constable at the front line on the blue lights every day. You don't know who you're going to help, what you're going to deal with. But actually, I've enjoyed every every single bit of my career. I've been a detective at every rank. And yeah, no two days are the same. So I would absolutely recommend it to anybody who's interested. So how can someone become a copper? To become a police officer, there are a couple of ways now. Nationally, it's just changed in terms of entrance. So if you already have a degree of any sort and you want to be a police officer, you can enter as a degree holder degree holder entry and you will join and you will go through your basic training and then come out onto the front line as an officer if you haven't got a degree and you want to join you can now do a new method of entry where you join the police and you do your degree as well as your initial training at the very beginning you get paid while you're doing your degree obviously it's all linked into policing you end up with a policing degree and each force is linked up with a, a local university to deliver the academic part of that degree and then there's also the other option the special constabulary so if you don't want to do it full-time but you would like to be a volunteer police officer we are always looking for people that would like to join as a special constable but we ask you to do a certain number of hours um, a month that you get all of the training all of the kit the vetting is exactly the same you have the same powers as a police officer who's doing it full-time but you do it on top of your day job so you might come in in the evenings at the weekends depending on your own personal home life and, and that's a really valuable a valuable way of joining as well
1: what if you are not academically minded being faced with the thought of doing a degree might put a lot of very capable people off becoming a police officer how would they deal with that
3: Yeah, I understand that that might be a concern. I think what I've seen from the new degree model is that actually it's it's learning on the job. And it's not all about writing essays and and reading. And actually, you get a lot of your credits towards your degree from the practical application of what you're doing. So I think for a long time in policing, we've had significant numbers of qualifications that me and my colleagues will have done throughout the years. But actually, if you added all of that together, that would probably be worth a degree. And so this new programme is kind of taking that approach of you come in, you join, you do your training. Yes, there will be some essays on top of that, but you would have been involved in those kind of debates and discussion and writing reports about certain topics anyway. So what we're doing is is giving you the opportunity for, of getting the degree and helping you through that, and also engaging you in the practical piece around actually being a police officer. So I understand there's a lot of concern around ha- having to have a degree. I think that the issue is it's not you don't have to have a degree to join. If you've got a degree, brilliant. Come and join using that that methodology. If you haven't got a degree, that's fine. Still join, and we will give you one as part of your training, and you don't have to pay for that yourself. You know, you're not pay, paying out paying to you, a university yourself to get that degree. So, I think if you look at it like that, it, it's a win a win win for everybody. Okay,
1: that sounds very helpful and progressive. I'm going to move on to the the issue of the role of the public in helping policing as that could be an entree into the police force as well. It just strikes me that the amount of money and resources that you have available isn't sufficient for the problems you're facing. Is there a wider role for citizens, members of the public, to help with policing or aspects of policing?
3: Yeah, absolutely there is. And I think you know, there is always more demand than we have supply of police officers. So any help we can get, Is gratefully taken on board so part of my new role is to lead uh, a program called citizens in policing which is a a number of areas of business where the communities can get involved in policing to a significant extent I've already just mentioned about the special constabulary but actually there are lots of opportunities for um, people young and old to get involved in policing and to, to help to help us keep our communities as safe as we we possibly can. As an example, we have the mini police. If you have very, very young children at at primary school, a number of schools throughout the region now have um, mini police, which is great fun and they're very cute when you you look at them. We have cadets, which is for teenagers, and that will be once a week during school school times uh, when they'll come on an evening and we have a cadet leader in force will be a police officer who will take them or a police member of staff who will take them through lots of areas of business around policing and then we will ask our cadets to help us in community events at open days at fates at things like that and that's a really valuable piece of volunteering that our young people can do and we have a huge cohort of volunteers of all age ranges we have a lot of people who are retired who will come and volunteer and do work for the police we have a lot of people that will do it on top of their general day job or their caring responsibilities and that can include various activities from helping us with some admin work to helping I've got some people that are helping my digital investigation team because they have a skill set in their day job in cyber investigation that helps my digital team so there's all sorts of ways and things that your own personal skill set might be valuable to help us in policing. And as I say this as a three-day in, I'm really excited about leading the citizens and policing piece. I think it will be a really valuable tool for policing moving forward. It's always been there, but I want to really push that agenda and engage our communities as much as possible. And if you don't want to actually come in, into the police, as it were, then then there are also many other opportunities. You know, we have things like um independent advisory groups, we have legitimacy panels. If you want to come and help us think through are we doing things professionally, are we doing the right things, then there are lots of different opportunities and they're all on our careers website at Thames Valley Police or through the Police and Crime Commissioner's website.
1: Now what about people who want to help with data analysis? Perhaps they might show up through your data things that you would find helpful. What sort of role can there be for people helping with data analysis? And then the final question really is about intelligence. What sort of role can people play when feeding information into the police?
3: in terms of data, sometimes data can be quite tricky because we have to be very careful about sharing personal data, as I'm sure many people will be aware of. There is lots of data available through Freedom of Information requests. We publish a lot of our data, so does the PCC. I think if somebody's got a particular skill set, I'd be interested to hear from them if there's some activity that they would be wishing or willing to undertake. And again, I I kind of hark back to the the discussion we had around academia earlier on. We do um, have some information sharing agreements with certain academics who are accessing our data where we've commissioned them to do some particular work on a particular area of topic. So there are ways To do that, we just have to be careful around the legalities and making sure that what we're doing is is good and proper, really. On the intelligence piece, you can directly call us or put it onto our online reporting tool. But also you can use Crime Stoppers If you've got something going on and you don't necessarily want to tell us your name and details, please use Crime Stoppers. And also you can talk directly to your local neighbourhood team. So on the Thames Valley Police website, each local area will have a link into their local neighbourhood teams. And if you want to... have a discussion around some issues or some information that you are made you've been made aware of then please do make contact and our staff will contact you or come out and see you or on the phone if you'd rather not have you know people in your house however you want to do it
1: Katie very helpfully mentioned a number of different websites which we will list below in the post now one final thing how could people get in touch with you and find out more
3: I'm on Twitter, ktbg one and very happy to hear from people via Twitter, very happy for people to email me. Obviously, it's just me, so for for Oxfordshire in particular, so I I may send your inquiry to one of my team to help with, if that's most appropriate, and also you can can call in or go onto the online contact pages and, and, and send me a message via that, and it will wind its merry way through the system into my inbox, but hopefully I've given everyone some things to think about and really keen to hear ideas and if you've got opportunities to come and uh, help us or join us then please do get in touch.
1: Chief Superintendent Katie barrow thank you very much for taking your time taking some time to talk to us.
3: Thanks for having me take care.
1: So that was Katie barrow uh, who's three days into her new role as Chief Superintendent in Oxfordshire and with a number of initiatives so here are those websites that Katie mentioned earlier on so the Thames Valley Police is www.thamesvalley.police.uk. If you want information about how you can join in with activities, careers, or even as a as a civilian volunteer, you can go to tvpcareers.co.uk or you can go to the Thames valley Uk, which is the police and crime commissioners website. If you need to report an issue, you can get crime stoppers, which is crimestoppers-uk.org and if you've got there are issues of domestic abuse you can type into your Google search engine reducing the risk or you can type in reducing the risk.org.uk of course there is womansaid.org.uk another excellent place to go to if you need help if you want to find out more about some of the academic work and some of the learning and, and teaching and learning that TVP are doing you can go to their TVP journal which is www.tems valley.police.uk or type in tvp journal and of course uh, you can also find out more about some of the new think tank work that uh, katie is doing with the police officers around the uk and even internationally by typing in whatworks.college.police.uk slash about slash going dash equipped so that was katie Barrow Grint. So back to the studio now. I've got Councillor Carol DaCosta. Carol, what really struck you? I mean, we were talking earlier on about the domestic abuse and and you came up with the idea of maybe um, people, male or female, whoever's being subject to abuse, can have a purple dot or maybe even the places where people are ready to listen could have some sort of purple dot or even a purple hand symbol. And we will talk to Katie Barrow Grint about that. What else sort of struck you about what she was saying?
2: Um, I found the uh, concept of uh, police officers doing uh, degrees during their training really interesting Uh, so yeah I thought that was really good Um, and for anybody who thinks that doing a practical subject matter doesn't need a degree or they don't feel they could do a degree then I would just encourage them give it a go give it a go just try because I did it when I did my midwifery and I never thought that I could do it. And I did. So I would just encourage anyone, give it a go. Okay. We're going to
1: close the show now coming towards the end of the show. It went really quickly and I must apologize for the problems with um, the recording and the sound levels in relation to Kate, the second part of Katie's discussion. So we're going to have close out with uh, Jessica, who's going to be playing in Windsor very, very shortly. Hold my hand, which I think we should all be doing with the police. Sorry, we have to say goodbye to Justine, who will be here shortly in Windsor. Well, not in Windsor, actually. Absolutely in Windsor, but not in Marlow. So thank you to my special guest, Katie Barraguin And, of course, in the studio, we had Carol Costa. Carol, thank you for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Brilliant. Now, I'm going to leave you one final thing. Remember, listeners, if you don't, who will? Across the Thames Valley.
0: One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this <laughs> is River Radio. Well, now for some... Pop music, try this.